friends, and welcome back to Bitching About the Mabinogion. We have been reading the story of Peredir, son of Evrog, and last time we heard how he was raised far away from anyone who knew anything about combat or war, and nevertheless, when he decided that he wanted to be a knight, turned out to be a prodigy and defeated just about everyone he encountered. We heard how he went to Arthur's court to try and be made a knight, and when he got there he was greeted by a dwarf and a she-dwarf, as the text describes them, and those two were both insulted by one of Arthur's knights, Kai. And since that day, Peredir has sworn that he will never return to Arthur's court until he gets an apology from Kai. And every time he beats somebody, which has been an awful lot of people, he has sent them back to Arthur's court to say, I got beaten by Peredir and he's never coming back here unless Kai says sorry. So here we are, quite some time later. Early that morning, Peredir got up, and when he came outside, a fall of snow had come down the night before, and a wild hawk had killed a duck near the cell. And what with the noise of the horse, the hawk rose, and a raven descended on the bird's flesh. Peredir stood and compared the blackness of the raven and the whiteness of the snow and the redness of the blood to the hair of the woman he loved best, which was as black as jet, and her skin to the whiteness of the snow, and the redness of the blood in the white snow to the two red spots in the cheeks of the woman he loved best. Meanwhile, Arthur and his retinue were searching for Peredir. "'Do you know,' said Arthur, "'who is the knight with the long spear standing in the valley above?' "'Lord,' said one, "'I shall go and find out who he is.' Then that squire approached Peredir and asked him what he was doing there and who he was. But Peredir was thinking so hard about the woman he loved best that he gave no answer. The squire attacked Peredir with a spear, but Peredir turned on him and threw him over his horse's crupper to the ground. Twenty-four knights came in succession, and he would not answer one more than another, but treated each one the same. He threw each one with a single thrust over his horse's crupper to the ground. Then Kai came up to him and spoke harshly and rudely to Peredir and Peredir struck him with a spear under his jaw and threw him a long distance away, so that his arm and collarbone were broken. And while he was in a dead faint, such was the pain he had received, his horse returned, galloping wildly. And when all the retinue saw the horse coming without its rider, they rushed to where the encounter had taken place, and when they got there they thought Kai had been killed. They realised, however, that if he had a physician who could set his bones and bandage his joints well, he would be none the worse. Peredir was not distracted from his thoughts any more than before, despite seeing the crowd around Kai. And Kai was brought to Arthur's pavilion, and Arthur had skilful physicians brought to him. Arthur was sorry for the pain that Kai had received, for he loved him greatly. And then Gwachmai said, No one should distract an ordained knight from his thoughts in a discourteous way, for perhaps he has either suffered a loss, or he is thinking about the woman he loves best. Such discourtesy, perhaps, was shown by the man who saw him last. If you wish, Lord, I shall go and see whether the knight has stirred from these thoughts, 
and if he has, I shall ask him kindly to come and see you. And then Kai sulked and spoke angry, jealous words. Grochmai, he said, I am certain you will lead him back by his reins. However, little praise and honour will you get from overcoming the tired knight, exhausted from fighting. Yet that is how you have overcome many of them, and while you have your tongue and fine words, a mantle of thin, fine linen will be armour enough for you, and you will not need to break a spear or a sword fighting the knight you find in that state. And then Gwalchmai said to Kai, You could have said something more pleasant had you wished, and it is not proper for you to vent your rage and anger on me. I expect, however, that I shall bring the knight back with me, without breaking either my arm or my shoulder. Then Arthur said to Gwalchmai, You speak like a wise and reasonable man. Go hence, and put on plenty of armour, and choose your horse. Gwalchmai armed himself, and went forward leisurely at his horse's pace to where Peredia was. And he was resting on his spear shaft, thinking the same thoughts. Gwalchmai approached him with no sign of hostility about him, and said to him, If I knew it would please you, as it pleases me, I would talk to you. Still, I am a messenger from Arthur, begging you to come and see him, and two men have come before me on that same errand. That is true, said Peredia, and they were discourteous. They fought with me, and that did not please me, because I disliked being distracted from my thoughts. I was thinking about the woman I loved best, and this is why I was reminded of her. I was looking at the snow and at the raven, and at the drops of blood from the duck which the hawk had killed in the snow and I was thinking that the whiteness of her skin was like the snow, and the blackness of her hair and eyebrows was like the raven, and the two red spots in her cheeks were like the two drops of blood. Gwalchm, I said, those thoughts were not dishonourable, and it is not surprising that you disliked being distracted from them. Peredia said, Tell me, is Kai in Arthur's court? He is, Gwalchm, I replied. He was the last knight to fight you and no good came to him from the confrontation. He broke his right arm and his collarbone in the fall he took from that thrust of your spear. Good, said Peredir. I am happy that I have begun to avenge the insult to the dwarf and the she-dwarf in that way. Gwalchmai was surprised to hear him mention the dwarf and the she-dwarf, and he approached him and embraced him, and asked what was his name. I am called Peredir, son of Evrog, he said. And who are you? I am called Gwalchmai, he replied. I am pleased to see you, said Peredir. I have heard of your reputation for military prowess and integrity in every land I have been, and I beg for your friendship. You shall have it, by my faith, and give me yours. You shall have it gladly, said Peredir. They set off together in joyful agreement to where Arthur was, and when Kai heard they were coming, he said, I knew that Gwalchmai would not need to fight the knight, nor is it surprising that he has received praise. He does more with his fair words than we by force of arms. And Peredir and Gwalchmai went to Gwalchmai's pavilion to take off their armour, and Peredir put on the same kind of garment that Gwalchmai wore, and they went hand in hand to where Arthur was and greeted him. Lord, said Gwalchmai, here is the man you have been seeking for a long time. "'Welcome to you, chieftain,' said Arthur. "'You shall stay with me. "'And had I known that your progress would be as it has been, "'you would not have left me when you did. "'Yet that was foretold by the dwarf and the she-dwarf, "'whom Kai harmed, and whom you have now avenged.' "'Then the queen and her handmaidens approached, 
and Peredia greeted them, and they were happy to see him and made him welcome. Arthur showed Peredia great respect and honour, and they returned to Caelchion. The first night Peredia came to Caelchion, to Arthur's court, he happened to be strolling in the castle after dinner. Behold, Angharad Lau Eirog met him. By my faith, sister, said Peredia, you are a dear, lovely girl, and I could love you best of all women if you wished. I give my word, she said, I do not love you, and I will never want you, ever. And I give my word, said Peredia, that I will never utter a word to any Christian until you confess that you love me best of men. The next day, Peredia set off. Literally, literally at months or years, Arthur has been questing to, well, no, Arthur has been hoping you would come to his court. You finally get there the first night you see a woman and you're like, hey, I know, I will declare a vow of silence and a fit of spite. Not quite a vow of silence, as we will see shortly. The next day, Peredia set off, and he followed the high road along the ridge of a great mountain. At the far end of the mountain he could see a round valley, and the edges of the valley were wooded and stony, and on the floor of the valley were meadows and ploughed land between the meadows and the forest. In the heart of the forest he could see large black houses, roughly built. He dismounted and led his horse towards the forest, and at some distance in the forest he could see a steep rock, and the road leading to the side of the rock, and a lion tied to a chain sleeping by the rock. He could see a deep pit of huge proportions below the lion, filled with the bones of men and animals. Peredir drew his sword and struck the lion, so that it fell, hanging by its chain above the pit, and with the second blow he struck the chain so that it broke and the lion fell into the pit. Peredir led his horse along the side of the rock until they got to the valley. He could see in the middle of the valley a fair castle, and he went towards the castle. In a meadow near the valley was seated a large grey-haired man. He was larger than any man Peredia had ever seen, and two young lads were shooting at the whalebone handles of their knives, one an auburn-haired lad and the other a yellow-haired lad. Peredia went up to the grey-haired man and greeted him. And the grey-haired man said, Shame on my gatekeeper's beard. Then Peredia realised that the lion was the gatekeeper. And then the grey-haired man, together with the lads, went into the castle, and Peredia went with them. A fair, noble place he could see there. They made for the hall, and the tables had been set out, with plenty of food and drink on them. Then he saw coming from the chamber an old woman and a young woman, and they were the largest women he had ever seen. They washed and went to eat. The grey-haired man went to the most important place at the top of the table, and the old woman next to him. Peredir and the maiden were placed next to each other, and the two young lads waited on them. The maiden looked at Peredir and became sad. Peredir asked the maiden why she was sad. Friend, since I first saw you, it is you I have loved best of men, and I am heartbroken to see the fate that will befall such a noble young man as you tomorrow. Did you see the many black houses in the heart of the forest? All those are vassals of my father, the grey-haired man over there, and they are all giants, and tomorrow they will set upon you and kill you, and this valley is called the Round Valley. Fair maiden, 
Will you arrange that my horse and arm are in the same lodging as me tonight? I will, between me and God, if I can, gladly. So, Peredia here is seemingly breaking his vow of silence, but not quite, because his vow was not to speak no words, his vow was to never utter a word to any Christian, and by going out into the wilderness he has gone out beyond Christendom, and it's fine for him to talk to people. When the time came to sleep rather than to carouse, they went to sleep, and the maiden arranged that Peredi's horse and armour were in the same lodging as him. The next day Peredi could hear the clamour of men and horses around the castle. Peredi got up and armed himself in his horse, and came to the meadow. The old woman and the maiden went to the grey-haired man. Lord, they said, accept the squire's word that he will not say anything about what he has seen here, and we will ensure that he keeps it. I will not, by my faith, said the grey-haired man. Peredia fought against the host, and by midday he had killed a third of them without anyone harming him. Then the old woman said, The squire has killed many of your men. Show him mercy. I will not, by my faith, said the grey-haired man. The old woman and the beautiful maiden were watching from the battlement of the castle. Then Peredia attacked the yellow-haired lad and killed him. Lord, said the maiden, show mercy to the squire. I will not between me and God. Then Peredia attacked the auburn-haired lad and killed him. It would have been better for you had you shown mercy to the squire before your two sons were killed, and it will not be easy for you to escape if indeed you do. Go, maiden and beg the squire to show us mercy, though we have not shown it to him. The maiden went to Peredia and asked for mercy for her father and all his men who had escaped alive. Yes, on condition that your father and all those under him go to pay homage to the Emperor Arthur, and tell him that it was Peredia, a vassal of his, who did this service. We will gladly, between me and God. And you will be baptised. I shall send word to Arthur and ask him to give you this valley to you and your heirs after you forever. Then they came inside, and the grey-haired man and the large woman greeted Peredia. Then the grey-haired man said, Since I have owned this valley, I have never seen a Christian leave here alive apart from you. And we shall go and pay homage to Arthur and receive faith and baptism. And then Peredia said, Thanks be to God that I did not break my promise to the woman I love best namely that I would not utter a word to a Christian. They stayed there that night. Early the next morning, the grey-haired man went with his followers to Arthur's court, and they paid homage to Arthur, and Arthur had them baptised. The grey-haired man told Arthur that it was Peredia who had overcome him, and Arthur gave the valley to the grey-haired man and his followers to rule on his behalf, as Peredia had requested. And with Arthur's permission, the grey-haired man set off for the round valley. Peredia, on the other hand, travelled the next morning through a long stretch of wilderness without coming across any dwelling. At last he came to a very poor, small house. And there he heard of a serpent that lay on a gold ring, leaving no dwelling standing for seven miles around. Peredia went to where he heard the servant was, and he fought the serpent, furious and valiant, bold and proud, and eventually he killed it and took the ring for himself. For a long time he wandered in this way 
without uttering a word to any Christian, until he began to lose his colour and appearance because of a deep longing for Arthur's court and the woman he loved best and his companions. From there he travelled to Arthur's court. On the way, Arthur's retinue met him, with Kai riding ahead going on an errand for them. Peredi recognised them all, but no one in the retinue recognised him. "'Where do you come from, Lord?' said Kai, and a second time, and a third. But Peredi would not answer. Kai struck him with a spear through his thigh, and lest he be forced to speak and break his word, Peredi rode past without taking vengeance on him. And then Gwalchmai said, "'Between me and God, Kai, that was bad behaviour, to set upon a squire like that just because he could not speak.' And Gwalchmai returned to Arthur's court. "'Lady,' he said to Guenevar, "'can you see how badly Kai has wounded this squire just because he could not speak? Let him have medical treatment by the time I return, and I shall repay you.' Before the men returned from their errand, a knight came to the meadow near Arthur's court demanding an opponent to do battle with. And an opponent was found, and the knight overthrew him, and for a week he overthrew a knight every day. One day Arthur and his retinue were going to the church. They saw the knight with the signal raised for battle. Men, said Arthur, by the bravery of men I shall not leave here until I get my horse and weapons to overthrow that knave over there. Then the servant went to fetch Arthur his horse and weapons. Peredir met the servants as they were passing, and he took the horse and weapons, and made for the meadow. When everyone saw him get up and go and fight the knight, they went to the rooftops and hills and high places to watch the fighting. Peredir signalled to the knight with his hand, urging him to begin, and the knight charged at him. However, Peredir remained rooted to the spot. But then he spurred on his horse and set upon the knight, furious and valiant, violent and angry, eager and proud. I'm loving these pairs of words. This, it's gorgeous. And struck him a blow that was brutal and bitter, painful and bold, in a warrior-like way under the chin, lifting him out of his saddle and throwing him a great distance away. And Peredir returned, leaving the horse and armour with the servants as before, and he made for the court on foot. And after that, Peredir was called the Mute Knight. With that, Angharad Laoerog met him. Between me and God, Lord, it is a shame that you cannot speak, and if you could, I would love you best of men, and by my faith, even though you cannot speak, I will still love you best. May God repay you, sister. By my faith, I love you too. And then they realised that he was Peredir. He renewed his friendship then with Gwalchmai, and with wine son of Urien, and all the retinue and he remained at Arthur's court. Arthur was in Caerlionarwisk, and he went to hunt, and Peredir with him. And Peredir let his dog loose on a stag, and the dog killed the stag in a deserted place. Some distance away he could see signs of a dwelling, and he approached the dwelling. He could see a hall, and at the door of the hall he could see three swarthy, bald young men playing gwith-gwith. And when he entered, he could see three maidens sitting on a couch, dressed in garments of gold as befits noblewomen. And he went to sit with them on the couch. One of the maidens looked at Peredir intently and wept. Peredir asked her why she was weeping. 
because it pains me so much to see such a handsome young man as you killed. Who would kill me? said Paredir. If it were not dangerous for you to stay here, I would tell you. However great the danger if I stay, I will hear you out. The man who owns this court is our father, and he kills everyone who comes to this court without permission. What sort of man is your father, that he can kill everyone like that? A man who is violent and malicious towards his neighbours, and he does not give recompense to anyone for it. Then Peredia saw the young men getting up and clearing the pieces from the board, and he heard a great noise, and after the noise he saw a huge, black-haired, one-eyed man coming in. The maidens got up to meet him, and removed his armour, and he went to sit down. When he had collected his thoughts and rested, he looked at Peredir and asked who the knight was. Lord, said the maiden, the fairest and noblest young man you have ever seen, and for God's sake and your own pride be patient with him. For your sake I will be patient, and I will spare his life tonight. Then Peredir joined them by the fire. He took food and drink, and talked with the maidens. Then, when he had become drunk, Peredir said, I am surprised that you claim to be as strong as you do. Who pulled out your eye? One of my rules is that whoever asks me that question will not escape with his life, neither as a gift nor for a price. Lord, said the maiden, although he is talking to you foolishly because of being drunk and intoxicated, keep to your word and the promise you gave me just now. I will do so gladly for your sake. I will gladly spare his life for tonight. And they left it at that for the night. The next day the black-haired man got up and put on his armour and told Peredir, Get up, man, to meet your death. Peredir said to the black-haired man, Black-haired man, do one of two things if you wish to fight me. Either remove your own armour or else give me additional armour to fight you. Man, he said, could you fight if you had weapons? Take whatever weapons you want. Then the maiden brought Peredir the weapons he wanted, and he and the black-haired man fought until the black-haired man had to ask Peredir for mercy. Black-haired man, you shall have mercy on condition that you tell me who you are and who pulled out your eye. Like, Peredir, dude, can't you tell that that is a rude fucking question? Lord, I shall tell you fighting the black serpent of the cairn. There is a mound called the Mound of Morning, and in the mound there is a cairn, and in the cairn there is a serpent, and in the serpent's tail there is a stone. And these are the attributes of the stone. Whoever holds it in one hand will have as much gold as he wishes in the other hand. And I lost my eye fighting that serpent. And my name is the Black Oppressor. The reason I was called the Black Oppressor is because I would not leave a man around me whom I did not terrorise, and I would never give recompense to anyone. Well, said Peredir, how far from here is the mound you mentioned? Just not even addressing that second half of the statement. I shall list the stages of your journey there, and tell you how far it is. The day you set off from here you will come to the court of the Sons of the King of Suffering. Why are they called that? A lake monster kills them once each day. When you leave there, you will come to the court of the Countess of the Feats. What feats does she perform? She has a retinue of three hundred men, 
Every stranger who arrives at court is told of the feats of her retinue. That is why the retinue of three hundred men sit next to the lady, not out of disrespect to the guests, but in order to narrate the feats of her retinue. The night you set off from there, you will get as far as the Mound of Morning, and there, surrounding the mound, you will find the owners of three hundred pavilions guarding the serpent. Since you have been an oppressor for so long, I shall make sure that you will never be so again. And Peredir killed him. And the maiden who had started to talk to him said, If you are poor arriving here, you shall now be rich with the treasure of the black-haired man you have killed. And you can see the many lovely maidens in this court. You may take whichever one you wish. I did not come from my country, lady, to take a wife. But I see fine young men there. Let each one of you pair up with another, as you wish. And I do not want any of your wealth. I do not need it. From there Peredia set off, and came to the court of the sons of the King of Suffering. When he came to the court, he could see only women. The women got up and welcomed him. As they started to talk, he could see a horse approaching with a saddle on it, and a corpse in the saddle. One of the women got up and took the corpse from the saddle, and bathed it in a tub of warm water that was by the door, and applied precious ointment to it. The man got up, alive, and went up to Peredia, and greeted him, and made him welcome. Two other corpses entered on their saddles, and the maiden gave those two the same treatment as the previous one. Then Peredia asked the lord why they were like that. They replied that there was a monster in a cave who killed them every day, and that night they left it at that. The next day the young men got up. Peredia had asked to be allowed to go with them for the sake of their lovers. They refused him. If you were killed there, no one could bring you back to life again. Then they set off. Peredia followed them, but when they had disappeared so that he could not see them, behold, he came across the fairest woman he had ever seen sitting on a mound. I know where you are going. You are going to fight the monster, but it will kill you. And not because it is brave, but because it is cunning. It lives in a cave, and there is a stone pillar at the mouth of the cave, and it can see everyone who enters, but no one can see it. And with a poisonous stone spear from the shadow of the pillar it kills everyone. And if you promise to love me more than all women, I will give you a stone so that you will see the monster when you enter, but it will not see you. I promise, by my faith, said Peredir, since I first saw you, I loved you. And where would I search for you? When you search for me, look towards India. Then the maiden disappeared, after placing the stone in Peredia's hand. He continued to a river valley, and the edges of the valley were wooded, and on each side of the river were flat meadows. On one side of the river he could see a flock of white sheep, and on the other side he could see a flock of black sheep. When one of the white sheep bleated, one of the black sheep would come across and turn white, and when one of the black sheep bleated, one of the white sheep would come across and turn black. He could see a tall tree on the river bank, and one half of it was burning from its roots to its tip, but the other half had fresh leaves on it. Beyond that, he could see a squire sitting on top of a mound with two spotted, white-breasted greyhounds on a leash lying beside him, and he was certain that he had never seen such a royal-looking squire. In the forest facing him, he could hear hunting dogs raising deer. He greeted the squire, and the squire greeted Peredir. And Peredir could see three paths leading away from the mound. Two were wide, and the third was narrower. 
and Peredir asked where the three paths went. One of these paths goes to my court, and I advise you to do one of two things, either proceed to the court to my wife who is there, or stay here where you will see hunting dogs driving the tired deer from the forest to the open ground, and you will see the best greyhounds you have ever seen, and the bravest to face deer, killing them by the water near us. And when it is time for us to go and eat, my servant will bring my horse to meet me, and you will be welcome there tonight. May God repay you. I will not stay, but I will be on my way. The second path leads to the town that is close by. You can buy food and drink there. And the path that is narrower than the others goes to the monster's cave. With your permission, squire, I shall go there. Peredir came to the cave, and took the stone in his left hand and the spear in his right hand. And as he entered he saw the monster and thrust a spear through him and cut off his head. And when he came out of the cave he saw in the mouth of the cave the three companions. And they greeted Peredir, and said that it had been foretold he would kill that oppressor. Peredir gave the head to the young men, and they offered him his choice of their three sisters as a wife, together with half their kingdom. I did not come here to take a wife, but if I wanted a wife, perhaps it's your sister I would choose first. Peredir went on his way. He heard a noise behind him, and he looked behind him, and he could see a man on a red horse, dressed in red armour. The man drew level with him and greeted Peredir in the name of God and man. Peredir greeted the young man kindly. Lord, I have come to ask you something. What do you want? said Peredir. Take me as your man. Whom would I be taking as my man if I were to take you? I will not conceal my identity from you. I am called Edlim Glevif Goch, an earl from the eastern region. I am surprised that you are offering yourself as a man to someone who has no more land than yourself. I, too, have only an earldom. But since you want to become my man, I will take you gladly. They went to the countess's court. They were made welcome in the court, and were told that it was not out of disrespect to them that they were seated below the retinue, but that it was the custom of the court. For whoever overthrew her retinue of three hundred men would be allowed to eat next to her, and she would love him more than any man. When Peredia had overthrown her retinue of three hundred men and sat down beside her, she said, I thank God for having a young man so fair and brave as you, since I have not had the man I love best. Who was the man you loved best? By my faith, Edlim Glevifgoch was the man I loved best, but I have never seen him. God knows, said Peredir, Edlim is my companion, and here he is, and it was for his sake that I came to challenge your retinue. But he could have done it better than I, had he wanted, and I will give you to him. God thank you, fair young man, and I will take the man I love best. That night, Edlam and the Countess slept together. The next day, Peredir set off for the Mound of Mourning. By your hand, Lord, I will go with you, said Edlam. They came to where they could see the Mound and the pavilions. Go to those men over there, said Peredir to Edlin, and tell them to come and pay homage to me. Edlam came to them and said, Come to pay homage to my lord. Who was your lord? they said. My lord is Peredir Baladur here, said Edlin. Which the footnotes tell me translates to Peredir Longspear, which I'm sure is not a joke in any way.
If it were lawful to kill a messenger, you would not return to your lord alive for making such arrogant requests of kings and earls and barons to come and pay homage to your lord. Edlam returned to Peredir. Peredir told him to go back to them and give them a choice, either to pay homage or to fight him. They chose to fight him. And Peredir overthrew the owners of a hundred pavilions that day. The next day he overthrew the owners of another hundred. But the third hundred decided to pay homage to Peredir. He asked them what they were doing there. They said that they were guarding the serpent until it died. And then we will fight each other for the stone, and whichever one of us is victorious will get the stone. Wait for me here. I will go and confront the serpent. No, lord, they said, we will go together to fight the serpent. No, said Peredir, I do not want that. If the serpent were killed, I would get no more praise than any one of you. And he went to where the serpent was, and killed it, and returned to them. Add up what you have spent since you came here, and I will repay it to you in gold, said Peredir. He paid them as much as each one said he was owed, and asked nothing of them, save to acknowledge that they were his men. And he said to Edlim, You shall go to the woman you love best, and I will go on my way, and repay you for becoming my man. And then he gave the stone to Edlim. May God repay you, and may God speed your journey. Peredir went on his way. He came to a river valley, the fairest he had ever seen, and he could see many pavilions there of different colours. But he was more surprised to see the number of water mills and windmills. A large, auburn-haired man came up to him with the look of a craftsman about him. Peredir asked him who he was. I am the head miller over all the mills over there. May I have lodging with you? said Peredir. Yes, he replied, gladly. He came to the miller's house, and saw that the miller had a fair and pleasant place. Peredir asked the miller if he could borrow money to buy food and drink for himself and the household, and he would repay him before leaving. He asked the miller why there was such a crowd of people. The miller said to Peredir, it's either one or the other, either you are a man from afar or else you are mad. The Empress of Great Constantinople is there, and she wants only the bravest man since she has no need of wealth, and it was impossible to carry food to the several thousands that are here, and that is why there are all these mills. That night they rested. The next day Peredir got up and armed himself and his horse to go to the tournament. He could see a pavilion among the other pavilions, the fairest he had ever seen, and he could see a beautiful maiden craning her head through a window in the pavilion. He had never seen a more beautiful maiden, dressed in a garment of gold brocaded silk. He stared at the maiden and was filled with great love for her, and he gazed at the maiden in this way from morning until midday, and from midday until it was afternoon. By then the tournament had ended. He came to his lodging, and he took off his armour and asked the miller if he could borrow money. The miller's wife was angry with Peredir, but even so the miller lent him money. The next day he did the same as he had done the day before. That night he came to his lodging and borrowed money from the miller. The third day, when he was in the same place gazing at the maiden, he felt a large blow with the handle of an axe between his shoulder and neck. When he looked round at the miller, the miller said to him, "'Do one of two things,' said the miller. "'Either turn your head away or go to the tournament.' Peredir smiled at the miller and went to the tournament. He overthrew all those he encountered that day. 
Of those he overthrew, he sent the men as a gift to the empress, and the horses and armor as a gift to the miller's wife, as a guarantee of the money he had borrowed. Peredia took part in the tournament until he had overthrown everyone. Those he overthrew, he sent the men to the empress's prison, and the horses and armor to the miller's wife as a guarantee of the money he had borrowed. The empress sent word to the knight of the mill, asking him to come and see her. But he rejected the first messenger, and the second went to him. And the third time she sent one hundred knights to ask him to come and see her, and unless he came voluntarily they were to take him against his will. They went to him, and related their message from the empress. He fought well against them. He had them tied up as one ties a roebuck, and thrown into the mill ditch. And the empress asked the advice of a wise man who was in her council. He said to her, I will go to him with your message. He came to Peredir and greeted him, and asked him for the sake of his lover to come and see the empress. And Peredir and the miller went. He sat down in the first part of the pavilion to which he came, and she sat down next to him. They talked together for a while. Peredir took his leave and went to his lodging. The next day he went to visit her. When he came to the pavilion there was no part of it less well appointed than the rest, for they did not know where he would sit. Peredir sat next to the empress and talked lovingly. As they were sitting like that, they saw a black-haired man entering, with a golden goblet full of wine in his hand. He went down on his knee before the empress, and told her to give it only to the man who would fight him for it. She looked at Peredir. "'Lady,' he said, "'give the goblet to me.' He drank the wine, and gave the goblet to the miller's wife. Meanwhile, behold, a black-haired man who was bigger than the other, with a wild animal's claw in his hand shaped like a goblet and full of wine. He presented it to the empress, and told her to give it only to the man who would fight him. "'Lady,' said Peredir, "'give it to me.' And she gave it to Peredir. He drank the wine, and gave the goblet to the miller's wife. Meanwhile, behold, a man with red curly hair who was bigger than either of the other men, and a crystal goblet in his hand, full of wine. He went down on his knee, and placed it in the empress's hand, and told her to give it only to the man who would fight him for it. And she gave it to Peredir, and he sent it to the miller's wife. That night he went to his lodging. The next day he armed himself and his horse, and came to the meadow, and Peredir killed the three men, and then went to the pavilion. And the empress said to him, Fair Peredir, remember the promise you made me when I gave you the stone, when you killed the monster. Lady, he replied, what you say is true, and I remember it too. And Peredir ruled with the empress for fourteen years according to the story. Now in some of the manuscripts we have, the tale of Peredia, son of Efrog, ends here. But in others, it keeps going. We'll save that for the next episode. Bitching about the Mabinogion is told by Gwen Verch David and produced by Amanda Martell. Take care, and thanks for listening.